With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. Hi, this is Pat Iyer, and this is Writing to Get Business podcast. Many companies are looking for answers on how they can optimize their processes and be more productive and compete more fully in the market and tackle business challenges. I have with me today, Dave Dragon, who is an expert in the area of larger companies dealing with some of those challenges. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Let's start by sharing the title of your book so that our listener or our viewer understands the area that you decided to tackle in your book. Sure. The, the short version is I Solve Mysteries. Um, that's the name of the book. But then the longer version is The Art and Science of Business Process Optimization and Transformation. So that's a mouthful. But the and short version is I Solve Mysteries. And I know that there are people who think of different kinds of mysteries other than business mysteries. Tell our listener about the mysteries part. What does that mean? Well, I work on large um, transformation projects for companies. And uh, typically, it has to do with uh, their business processes being broken. And when you go into one of these projects, um, they may have opinions about what they think is wrong, but 90% of the time they really don't know what's wrong. So when I'm going in to run a project, I'm really trying to understand what is really the root cause of their issue. And that's what the mystery is. So in many times through the, the work that I do and I start presenting what we really find as their problem, they're surprised because it's a mystery to them too. So it's a mystery to me walking in, and then it's a mystery to them because they really had no idea what their problem was. And that reminds me, Dave, of when I worked with attorneys, they would come to me and say, this case is about this. And then I would get into the medical records and I would say, no, that case is not about this. It's about that. How do we end up not having an accurate feel for the cause of a problem. What's behind that? Well, it's actually kind of uh, like what a doctor does with his diagnosis. Um, when you go to a doctor, you have a pain someplace and you think that's the um, issue, uh, but that's only the symptom. And it's the same thing with business. When uh, they feel the pain, it's a symptom, but it's not what the root cause of their problem is. So they may feel pain across multiple different parts of the organization, 
Um, and they think that's where the, the, the issue is, but it's actually someplace else. It could be entirely different part of the corporation that's causing the problem, um, but they feel the pain in a certain area. So I do something very similar to a doctor. I diagnose pain problems. Um, and then I give them what the real issue is and what, what the real root cause is. You're coming in as a consultant, right? Yes. And you're not an employee in those situations that we're talking about? No, no, I'm coming as a consultant, outside consultant. <clears throat> How do you get people to open up to you? Well, that's part of the mystery. Um, so in the book, I talk about multiple roles that I play on a project. <clears throat> the, the first role is I'm an archeologist. Um, so I have to look at artifacts. So I look at all the documentation they have. And uh, typically when you go into a, um, a company, they don't have their current business processes documented. So one of the first things that we have to do is do what we call a current state analysis, and that's documenting their business processes. And through that, I start seeing where their issues are. Um, and I start identifying and understanding um, some of the cultural issues that they have um, because uh, people may be in conflict. So I'm starting to get, I'm starting to get information back from my analysis. Um, and then I'm kind of an anthropologist is the next thing I do, uh, because what I need to do is understand the company culture and why they behave in a certain way. So I've got the artifacts, I'm looking at their culture. And then from there, we dive down into asking questions. Um, I'm a Six Sigma black belt. And one of the tools that we use is called the five whys. So I'll take a particular part of the process and we color code them red, yellow, and green. Red means bad, yellow means, okay, something's not right. Green means it's okay. So we'll dive into the, the red process steps and hear the symptoms and then ask them why. Why is this process red? Why are you feeling the pain in this particular area? And so now we're starting to do the diagnosis and understanding where their issues are. And that's where they start opening up. So it's basically, you know, it's asking questions. Um, and the five whys means that if you ask why five times, you're hopefully getting to what the real root cause is. Because again, they're gonna give you symptoms, then they're gonna give you another level of symptoms. They're gonna try to divert the conversation away to what the real problem is. So. History has shown in Six Sigma, if you get through the five whys, you usually get down to what the true root cause of the issue is. So in a large process, um, you have uh, the, the pain right here and you have upstream processes and downstream processes. Typically what happens is the upstream process is doing something that filters its way down to the downstream process. And that's where the symptom comes in and that's where they're feeling pain. So that's the methodology that I've used over the years to really figure out what's going on. And, you know, these big companies are, they're all cross-sectional, cross-functional. So I may have sales and marketing, I have supply chain, I have manufacturing, I have R&D, I got finance. So everybody kind of intersects at a certain level in these processes. And, and that's where this, this methodology that I use comes out. And it's all, it's all outlined in the book too. I talk about that in detail. 
give an example of what might happen upstream that would affect people downstream? Sure. So um, one of the projects I talk about in the book uh, was a large uh, CPG company. And um, they uh, do something called trade promotion management. And most people are not familiar with it. I never even heard of it before I started the project. And that's where you go into uh, the supermarket and you get the buy one, uh, you know, buy two, get one free. So this is a, a very kind of um, convoluted process that the food manufacturers have and the supermarket chains have. And it's a real logistical and it's a real nightmare. It's really a lot of stuff going on. So this company was feeling a lot of pain in part of the process. Um, and it just lit up the uh, current state process maps in red all over the place. So as we started going in and looking at what was causing it, we ultimately found out that the way they set their prices upstream was causing all this pain downstream in the process with their customers. So what happened was their pricing model that they had was very confusing. People inside the company didn't understand it and the customers didn't understand it. So that's where a lot of the, the problems came in. Just as we were working on this project and, and really getting to this root cause of pricing, when the customers came back to them and said, look it, we can't figure out your pricing. Here's what we're gonna do. We think we know how much we should pay for this based on our conversations with your salespeople. So that's what we're gonna pay. Now, if you think we should pay a different price, that's your problem. So you figure out all of the problems that you have in matching your selling price to whatever, but we know what we think we should pay based on talking to your salespeople. That's what we're gonna pay. Sometimes we're gonna be under, sometimes we're gonna be over. First month that this um, supermarket chain did this, it was over a mid uh, five figure deduction that they took from the company. So over $50,000 because they couldn't reconcile the problems with the selling price. Mm -hmm. Now multiply that for a whole year and you're looking over half a million dollars if you keep that going. Right. So that started getting people's attention. So it was by chance that when we identified what the root cause was, one of their biggest uh, customers came back and said, we're not playing around with you anymore. So that just kind of solidified what we were telling them. Did they solve their pricing problem then? Uh, well, it, it was going to take over a year. It's nothing. Pricing is not easy to do. Um, so you have to get the, uh, not only the sales organization involved, but marketing. So, you know, in, a, in consumer pricing, it's all about marketing, you know, and when they do these two for ones, they're competing against some other brand to try to draw them over to yours. So you've got, you know, the sales organization, you got the marketing organization, you got the legal organization, you got the finance organization. So it took over a year to get everybody together to kind of streamline how they were going to do their pricing. So a lot of times these problems are, are not easy to solve quickly. No, I, you know, I was just reading an article a couple of days ago about the problem with returns. That mm -hmm. when people are shipping these products back to Amazon, for example, that it costs a phenomenal amount of money 
to receive something that somebody didn't want. It doesn't get repackaged and sold to somebody else. They often end up in landfills or the company says, don't bother to return it to us. It's just not worth it to have to process this thing back in the system. You know, occasionally people have told me that, that we've accidentally shipped two of my books to them. And our typical response is, please find somebody else and give it to them because by the time they pay the shipping back to us, you know, we can refund them a little bit of money, but I would rather it be in somebody else's hands. And I would think on a large scale, when manufacturing companies who are your target market end up with these kinds of issues that it's phenomenally wasteful to try to solve some of the problems. And if you're not solving them, then you're ending up wasting even more money. So I, I, I would think that your skills would be very valuable as a consultant to help people with those red zone issues that they're dealing with. Yeah, I worked on a project uh, where, where the company was a CPG company and they were just getting into e-commerce. They didn't really understand all the ins and outs of it. Um, and we put a performance management model together uh, so they could keep track of all the different things in their business. And one of the things we put in was a performance management KPI around how you manage returns. And it had to do with not only the logistical part, but also the customer satisfaction part because um, Zappos was one of the first ones to come out with these free returns. And then now it's become kind of commonplace. And the CFO wasn't thinking about not only the cost, but also the marketing and, and social uh, network commentary that happens. So we, we needed to make sure that the KPI had kind of multiple streams that we were looking at so they could get a real picture of how they needed to manage their returns. Because if you get one bad review out on social media, I mean, it, it moves fast. So um, you gotta be careful in today's world on how you treat your customers because they can you know, do damage very quickly to your reputation. So that was, in, and she was like surprised, like, wow, I never even thought about a KPI about returns. Yeah, and it's very difficult for a company to get rid of a bad return, too. I mean, a bad review. Review, right. On social media. Exactly. Well, you were working as a consultant, working with these companies. Tell our listener or our viewer, what made you decide that you wanted to write a book about your experiences? Well, it's an interesting story. Um, I've worked on a lot of these uh, projects over the years, and... I was working on some projects in 2018 and I was getting really frustrated uh, in talking with the team I was working with. And I, I said, you know, why as consultants do we make these same mistakes over and over and over again in not telling these companies we're gonna work with that this is the emotional roller coaster you need to expect to go through when we're solving your mysteries. Um, and one of the things that I talk about in the book is the five stages of grief. So think about I'm doing a project and I'm finding something that, again, they don't know about. And I have to go to the steering committee and tell them, okay, this is what your real problem is. So first thing happens in the five stage of grief is denial. No, that's, that's not right. You know, why did we even hire you? 
You know, that's, that's dumb because people don't want to hear the truth. And then they get in anger. So now they get angry at you and they, they vent at you. And then they said, again, why did we even hire you? You know, you're incompetent. So then you need a real strong team that you're working with at the client to be able to support the commentary. And that's why we do the artifacts. So then they get in negotiations. You know, it's not as bad as you think it is. Um, then it's like, well, we keep showing them the artifacts and they come to the conclusion it's, it's maybe even worse than they thought. So now they get depressed. So this is a typical uh, cycle that we go through in these projects. And that year in 2018, I'd worked on three different projects and uh, you know, we were not preparing the organization and it bogs the process down as they go through it. So I was bitching and moaning to some of the people I was working with. And one of the guys said, you know, why don't you stop bitching and moaning and write a book? I'm like, <laughs> put your money where your mouth is, Dave. Put your money where your mouth is. I'm like, hmm, I never thought about writing a book. And then I thought about it and I'm like, you know, at this stage of my career, if I can help, you know, mid-career and early career professionals to understand this better, these projects were going to go a lot smoother. So I started test marking some of the concepts with these folks that I was working with. And they're like, yeah, that's basically what we should be telling them up front. You know, when we start a project, tell them, look, you're going to go through this emotional roller coaster and this is why it's going to happen. Um, so then I, I incorporated that into the, the thought process for the book. So I said, you know, I'm going to take the first three months of uh, 2019 and write this book. So every day I sat down and I had a structure already in my mind and I just started writing and I started writing. Um, and then I'd look at it and I'd say, hey, man, I don't even understand what you're saying. How can somebody else understand? So did a bunch of rewrites. Um, and then during that same time, I, um, I uh, reached out to a couple of friends that um, I knew from the uh, advertising area. And I said, do you know anybody that's a good um, uh, publisher that I could talk to? So they gave me a couple of names and it really came down to uh, one publisher. And uh, that's how I started uh, the process of writing the book. Basically I was bitching and moaning and somebody told me, you know, put up or shut up. Mm -hmm. So I put up. <laughs> And you've shared with us a couple of models, you as the architect, you as the anthropologist, you as the problem solver after the diagnosis stage. Yeah, so you're the uh, archaeologist, the anthropologist, the uh, detective. Now, this is where we're solving the mystery. Okay. Now we're the detective. Then we're the strategist. Uh-huh. I need to be able to come up with a strategy to move them from here to there. So now I'm a, I'm a strategist. So then now the, now the hard work starts. And you would think the stuff I was just talking about is the hard work. That's not the hard work. The hard work is being the psychologist. Because now we have to present this information to the organization and explain to them, this is what we're going to do. And people's first reaction to change is, I'm not changing. And we see it at the steering committee at first because they don't want to change. And now we've got to translate that to the organization as we build these future state business processes and start explaining to the organization why we have to change. There's a, a rule in change management um, that says 20% of the people in the organization will be for you, 
20% of the people in the organization are going to be against you. In the middle, 60% are undecided. So as a psychologist, my, my job is to convince more than 50% of the 60% that this is a good thing. And I don't do it myself. We do it with the organization that we're working with because it's their team that they have to uh, get to adopt the change. Mm -hmm. So then we're the psychologists. So then sometimes, and you can imagine, I'm a psychiatrist because people get crazy. People's jobs are on the line. You show somebody something and they go through the five stages of grief. And when they're in anger, I mean, they're really in anger. Now, it doesn't happen on every project that I have to be the psychiatrist, but a lot of times I'm going to deal with one or two crazy people on the project. And because I work with internal teams at the company and we'll have our own project team as consultants, sometimes the crazy person is on my team and I have to be with that crazy person. And then finally, how does this all come together? So I'm a conductor, I'm a maestro, I'm leading an orchestra of people in solving mysteries. So that kind of brings everything together. I've got these people I'm working with, these people I'm working with, all these different processes we're analyzing. So I have to orchestrate the team and make sure we continue to move forward in the project and ultimately solve what the problem is and then give them a corrective action plan. So there's all these different hats. And that's why I thought it was important for somebody who's gonna be interested in this for their career. You gotta realize these are all the different hats that you have to wear when you do a large optimization and transformation project. Well, you've just helped me understand something that happened to me about 30 years ago when a hospital hired me to come in and identify some risk management problems in their facility. And I guess about three visits into it, they were all angry with me because I was pointing out problems that they didn't want to acknowledge. And I was ready to go in for the fourth visit when I opened up my mail as I was loading up my car to drive to this facility. And the VP of nursing told me that my services were no longer required. And I was devastated. Oh, yeah. And I called her up and, you know, she was, she didn't want to talk about it. She was, there were other people with her. She wasn't being clear. I I had to reflect on it later and think about what really happened. And I think I took them from the denial to the anger stage. And in the anger stage, they said, we don't want to work with Pat anymore. Yeah, now I'm beginning to feel maybe it wasn't just me personally, but maybe it was I stirred up too many hornets there. Oh, yeah, yeah. It had nothing to do with you. No, if you were identifying all those problems, they were in the anger stage and they were making you the problem, right? So yeah. think about, I'm working with a large corporation and we have this steering committee and I, I've come with uh, the team, uh, one of the members of the team that we've solved the mystery and now we've got to present it to the steering committee for the first time, right? So one of the things that we have to do is have the, the client team start priming some of the people on the steering committee about what's going on. Now, it may be that I got a senior vice president and we're priming him and he's the one that causes the problem. 
he created this problem over the last five years with some of the things that he did to the organization or she did to the organization. Now I got to go in the steering committee and basically say to the senior vice president, your baby's ugly and you were the cause of it. You imagine it, you know, yeah. what, how that goes down, just like with you, right? You know, right. denial, angry, um, you know, you're the bad guy. And it's like, well, you know, I'm here to help you. You got to decide you want to fix your company or not. And basically the, the hospital you were working with, they decided they didn't want to fix their problems. Mm-hmm. At least at that time. Yes. Yeah, and I don't know what happened after. I, I heard later that the hospital got an award for for best practices in healthcare, and I'm, I suspect that it had to happen after this person who was in charge left. Somebody else came in with a different perspective and was ready to tackle those problems that they only thought they wanted to tackle when I was trying to work with them. Right, right. And, you know, sometimes what happens is um, they just want you to come in and diagnose the problem. They don't want you to help them fix it. So that happens too. As consultants, it's a, kind of a fine line that we, um, we run uh, by giving them what they need to know um, versus everything they need to know. Because if we want to get follow-up business, we have to just give them enough where they just can't run it with it on themselves if you want follow-up business. Sometimes you run a project is like, you don't want to be there after you figure out what's wrong. So just give them as much as they need. And, you know, you guys go ahead and figure it out yourself. So sometimes you have to fire clients, (laughs) unfortunately. Well, and I think what you do, Dave, and you're pointing out is being a consultant is incredibly complex when you talk about the stages and the processes of helping companies There's so many factors that interplay how a company functions, the personalities, the processes, the hidden agendas, the jockeying for power, the awareness of what the market is requiring. It's not for the faint of heart to be running a large corporation. I say it's not for the faint of heart. I use that exact phrase in the book. This is not for the faint of heart. Um, what happens is, you know, in companies, you have different departments and there are silos and, you know, um, there's a dysfunctional uh, relationship many times with the different silos because the company may have its own culture, but each silo has its own culture and those cultures collide in many cases. So they don't like to talk to each other. And that, that is a cause of a lot of the issues that go on. Uh, each silo has its own culture. That's part of what I need to figure out is what is that silo's culture? So I use a model that came out of the University of Michigan with four different cultures. I've kind of weaned it down to that. Um, And then I got to figure out not how to tear down silos, but how to integrate silos. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of what we do because a lot of these processes are cross-functional across many departments. So we got to make sure we can coordinate the activities between these departments and get them working together and getting their silos to integrate versus, you know, and I hate the word tear down silos. People use that all the time and I correct them. We don't want to tear down silos. It's got a negative content uh, concept. You want to integrate silos and getting people to work together. And that's not always easy. 
If you tear down somebody's silo, then you may become the enemy. They may turn on you and say, why should we listen to Dave? He's just challenging us. He wants to break us apart. And you become the bad guy for crystallizing their frustrations with what you're trying to do to help them. You know, in many cases, uh, consultants are uh, labeled the bad guy uh, because we tell people what they don't want to hear. That's what they hire us for. You know, they think they want to hear the truth, but in many cases they don't. So we do turn into the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sometimes they just, they, 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 they can't deal with what the truth is. You know, it's, it's too overwhelming for them. Well, back to your book in the remaining couple of minutes. You wrote the book, you spent three months, and then were you happy with it? Did you end up having to rewrite any portions of it? You know, how did that process go? Well, at that point, I had identified uh, the publisher that I wanted to use. Um, so I sent them uh, the first part of the manuscript. And uh, so now I started a new lingo terminology that I didn't use, right? I got a manuscript now. So mm-hmm. I sent them the first part of the manuscript. They read it and they said, yeah, this could be real interesting for us. So, you know, finish up writing the, the book. And I, I did multiple, multiple rewrites uh, just to kind of clarify everything. And then I sent them the, the manuscript and they sent it to uh, two of their editors and uh, two editors went through it and uh, did a great job in identifying things. And then we got together afterwards and had a couple of conference calls with the editors. And we went chapter by chapter. And it's like, okay, what are you trying to say here? You know, I kind of understand it, but you can word it a little bit differently. So they helped me with some of the wording that I could do. Um, and then it was like, you know, you don't need to put this in the book right now. Um, that probably is not a good thing to have in the book. So let's take this out of the book. Um, so we pared it down into something that was more manageable. Um, I think there's a 45,000 to 65,000 range for business books. That's the optimum word count. So they helped me kind of pare that down into the 45, 65,000 range. Um, and then the fun part was working with their uh, designers for the cover. So, you know, they, um, the, the, the designer for the cover read the, the outline of the book and everything. And then they came back with uh, multiple uh, versions of the cover. Um, and then we started talking about it and we, uh, we, you know, kind of got the cover design done. So that was kind of the fun, creative part of it. Yes. Excellent. So is there another book in you, Dave, do you think? Well, I wrote another book in 2019 as kind of a personal memoir, but I haven't uh, published it yet. Um, A lot of people do those. So maybe sometime in the future, um, I'll publish it. Uh, But no business book right now. I think I I let it all out on that one. I solve mysteries. (laughs) Excellent. Well, that's 30 years of of learning and knowledge. There's a lot in there. And to develop that level of expertise meant that you've worked with a lot of people and looked at a lot of problems and helped people with solving those problems and those mysteries as to what was causing those problems. 
Yeah, it's an accumulation of all the different things that I've done in my career. I have had a very diverse career. I'm an accountant by education, but I got into supply chain and sales and outsourcing and technology and, you know, working on these projects, uh, both internally at the companies I was working for and then with clients. So it's really kind of an accumulation of 30 years of wisdom. And, And I didn't come up with that. Somebody who read the book said, wow, this is a book of wisdom. I'm like, oh, I like that. It's pretty cool. I like it. It's a book of wisdom. Yes, absolutely. And that basically, that's what it, it, it ultimately gets to. It's a book of wisdom. And let's give the title again for our listener or our person who's watching this on our YouTube channel. So the short title is I Solve Mysteries. It's on Amazon in both print and digital. The longer version is I Solve Mysteries the art and science of business process optimization and transformation. Very nice thing. All right, so we let people know where to get your book. What would be the best way for people to reach you if they wish to? Uh, probably the best uh, way to reach me is um, on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, that's where um, I have most of my, um, my business conversations. So. You find the book and you read it and you have some questions, you can always reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn. Perfect. Um, well, thank you so much, Dave. We've been talking to Dave Dragon, D-R-A-G-O-N, who has written his business book called I Solve Mysteries. He shared with us a process of a role of a consultant working with an organization to help them identify and resolve issues that are affecting their productivity and performance as a company based on his years of experience as a consultant, an external consultant coming into a company who's having some pain and a lot of big red areas, as you've described your color coding system, those red areas with the pain are the ones that affect performance optimization and holding companies back from being the best that they can be in service of their customers and their particular market. Be sure to return to Writing to Get Business podcast for future shows. And if you go on my website of patire.com, P-A-T-I-Y-E-R.com, you have the opportunity to get some of our free reports or to request the transcripts of these podcasts so that you can go back and refer to them in the future. Thanks so much. This is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business. I have with me Amy Wilson, who is the author of a new book that just came out this week called Empathy for Change. Amy, can you tell our listener, what are some of the topics that we covered in our podcast? Yeah, so we talked first of all about like what does empathy and change, what's that intersection, what's that Venn diagram that we have there? What do we need to do to to have a dialogue around empathy and change? Um, We talked about um, my past experience, why I wrote the book um, and why it's important for today. Um, And, you know, as we got into a little bit more about like what do I hope to have change and do in the world um, now that we're going into it, um, now, now that we're, we're having a, a new world in 2021. Well, thank you, Amy. Be sure to pick up a copy of Amy's book, Empathy for Change, and 
listen to her podcast on our audio channels or watch her show on our Pat IR YouTube channel. You will get some insights about governmental processes, about the different types of empathy, about what is an empath versus a highly sensitive person, and how all of those factors can combine in terms of helping to make change in a way that respects people's needs and exhibits empathy. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.